Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving a recap of the Thunder Timberwolves game. I'm going to be talking about Shvi Makai Luke, and I'm also going to be talking about Moses Brown and some of the accolades that he picked up in Orlando. Also, to top it all off, trade deadline coming up this Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. A lot of new names flying into the list here, and there are a couple that could be on the Thunders board. Now, we don't have any proof of this. These are just some hypotheticals that I want to throw in to end off the episode. But starting it out, you got to talk about the latest game the Thunder had against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, I don't know what the deal is. Oklahoma City has some of the best doctors in the world because it's a new thing with some of these players like every every other day. You know, Lou Dort, he was not able to play because his toe, had, it was hurting, I guess. It said his left toe was sore. So he could not play even though he just came off of like one of his best games of the entire season. Darius Baisley, he actually is hurt. Like, he has that shoulder contusion. We have not seen him in this first half of games yet. And then with Al Horford, I don't know if he's just missing the flights or what. He might just be in Oklahoma City for all we know. I mean, he is resting still. I think this is the, what, now it's the fourth out of fifth time? Or maybe it's the the fifth out of six games. Like, he is out for the long haul, it seems like. And... You know, we got one more game until this trade deadline hits. Maybe he rests that next one, too, because whatever reason, the doctors think that it will help him improve his game. He does better when he comes back off of rest, but, I mean, he has missed a lot of time. So you don't have three out of your typical five starters. If you want to be all tacky, you can say George Hill counts as one, too, but I don't think he's really part of the future right now anyways. So you had to roll out another lineup where, Got some new faces in. You get SGA back, which, you know, that's great because we didn't see him in the last game. Maladone, he gets promoted back up to the starting lineup. Pokachevsky, he's starting. Roby's at power forward. And Moses Brown gets the call up against his hardest matchup of the season in Carl Anthony Towns. And this was a pretty exciting first four and a half minutes because the Thunder, they went on a 10-2 run. Timberwolves, they ran it right back. They had a 10-2 run. So you're locked up at 12 and then the game just kind of turned to complete garbage, almost. A very sloppy play for the final, what, 7 minutes, 30 seconds, or something like that. Nobody could find any real source of offense. You end up getting a first quarter where the end score is 25-22 to 22 in the Thunder's favor. So, they'll take it, but they're not leading by much. They didn't have much really going for them. And there were a lot of just blooper moments here. Teo Maladone is going to be on Shaq to the Fool. If you thought the Pokachevsky one was bad from a couple months ago, take a listen to this play right here. Not easy. There's a steal and a takeaway and a miss. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Did that really just happen? Yes, it did. Jaden McDaniels on the other end. I mean, I, I can't believe that just happened. And the sloppiness continues. Noel to Towns. Yeah, so as you guys could just hear there, Maladone, he had two golden opportunities at the rim. He ends up getting the ball 
I think it's like a turnover or whatever. He's pushing the pace in transition. Ricky Rubio's near him for a brief second. He falls. So he has a clear path to the lane. He's coming in from the left wing. Sky's up for a right-handed dunk. And he's like right over it. Like his hand is right over the cylinder. This should be an easy dunk. And then I guess he either just lost the handle or last second he thought he wouldn't be able to get all the way up there because it turned into almost like a one-inch layup. It was pretty bad. So it ends up, you know, like rolling around the cylinder, falls back out. I think everybody just assumed there was two free points there. So no one was playing actual defense. He recollects the ball and a Timberwolves player kind of swoops by. He's out of the play though. So you get a second free chance and, you know, he's 6'5". He has a decent bit of hops to him. So he goes up again on the reload, two-handed standing dunk, and he just cranked it back too much because... It ends up hitting the back of the rim, and it just shoots right out. So, pretty embarrassing moment for him. There's about three minutes left in the first when that happened. So, yeah, just no one could get in sync from either team. I think the Thunder, after they had those 12 points, they shot like 35%, and then Minnesota shot around 23%. So, very ugly. And then that second quarter kind of needed a change of pace for both those teams if they wanted to kind of stay in this game. And Minnesota did. This was still a nail-biter. But they never were actually able to take the lead in the second quarter. They tied the game up 50-50. to But then the Thunder ended the half on a 7-0 run. So they're 57-50. And it's because Ty Jerome, he went 4-for-4 four four, all from downtown in the period. And it's kind of, everyone else kind of picked up the slack with him. So even though, like, you'd imagine if you hit four threes consecutively, there's no way, you know, they're not going to get blown out of the water. They stayed in the game, but, you know, they were really close for a brief period there. So, entering 57-50, that's not too bad at all, really, for either side. And it was totally weird how that first half shaped out because the Thunder were shooting better from three than they were on twos. They shot a couple mid-ranges. We know that, like, they shoot maybe, like, two, three a game pretty much all under the rim they're shooting worse than from three they shot 53 percent from downtown and then inside 46 percent and then minnesota you know they're kind of all over the place they did have an all right three but they were kind of working more inside and trying to get free throws to get their points anyways so the thunder they needed to keep it going from downtown they needed that pressure because inside they just were not able to get through nas reed or carl anthony towns so they go in, and they have an even better performance from outside. Six of nine in the third quarter. And Minnesota, they couldn't match that. They shot three of nine, and, you know, that's three points that they leave kind of dusted out there. They got three free throws to go, so you kind of X those out. The advantage is gone. And then when it comes to twos, they made the same. They had the exact same shooting percentages in the quarter on the exact same number of attempts 10 for 23 for both of them so those free throws did matter whenever okc's not shooting any you're gonna be completely knotted up so it was a 26 to 26 third quarter and you enter the fourth with with oklahoma city still up just seven points they were up 83 to 75 kind of needed to fend them off for 12 more minutes and you're gonna get the w and they were able to do that. They went on a little run here. You know, they exchanged 
couple baskets, but then Oklahoma City scored 11 consecutive points, and everybody was just completely hyped up over this. You got Alexi Pogachevsky on the sidelines start breaking out a dance number. Looked very weird. If I could explain what it looked like, I don't know if y'all y'all ever watched SpongeBob. I'm assuming maybe maybe not. I don't know. But I mean Squidward, you know, he starts waving his arms around. That's what that's what Pokachevsky was doing. He was waving his arms around, doing like the arm worm. I don't even know what to call it, man. It was just interesting. It was probably the best moment from that game. So Pokachevsky, he is feeling it on the bench. Everybody's doing pretty good. But Minnesota, they actually were able to make this a game. So they started clawing back. I think at their peak, their run was like 11-2 to two or something. But they got the game down to six points with a minute to go. And Oklahoma City missed on their next possession. They have time here. If they get a three, they can just clamp up on another possession and they'll get the ball back to tie. So they get the, they get the stop. Carl Anthony Towns gets it. And he shanks the three. So they got to play another possession on defense. They end up fouling Shea. They put him to the line. Misses the first free throw, but he makes the second. So seven-point lead, like 50 seconds left. Probably even less, honestly. But they just weren't able to cover that deficit. So they end up losing the game by nine points because they wanted to turn it into a free throw contest like most games do. So it was 112 to 103 going for the Thunder. So they end up capping off their four-game road stand, two and two, and now they are the undisputed 11th seed in the Western Conference. For some of you, you may be overjoyed about that. Others, probably not. You probably just want them to tank and get some more picks. But the Pelicans, they still have yet to play their game. So if they lose, um, they're going to be the 12th seed for sure. If they win, now you got that little tie-up where... You, the tiebreaker is so weird right now. Like, they don't even have it set up correctly on every single website. So, you don't know. But if they win, you're going to have the exact same records again because the Thunder right now are 19 and 24, while the Pels are 18 and 24. And for the Timberwolves, nothing changes with them in the standings. They're still the worst team in the league. For some, I mean, that might be a relief, actually, because the Houston Rockets have been banging on that doorstep for a while now and they actually won their last game, so you get that, and then you also get a Timberwolves loss, they got to cover a lot more now to try to get that worst draft pick or the, the worst odds entering the uh, the lottery. Maybe it's the best, yeah, the best, but anyways, I guess that kind of helps out our case if we want Houston to not have really good odds at keeping their pick. So yeah, at 10-33, they got a lot to work on. I do actually kind of like what I've seen from them. I mean, they didn't have Carl Anthony Towns for a lot of this season, and he was just dominant. Offensively, he was at least. He had 33 points on 10 of 28 shooting, so he was kind of doing everything for them. And then he also was able to get 10 rebounds. And then behind him, you had Anthony Edwards. He played pretty bad in the first quarter. He didn't even score a point. But he picked it up. He actually had 16 points by the end of the game. I think they had two other people who placed double digits, but they didn't really have a big point spread. Oklahoma City, on the other hand, we've seen this a lot now. Pretty much everybody is able to score. They had five people who placed double digits in this game, and there were still some people who were really close to that, or at bare minimum, they were contributing big time in other facets of the game. So SGA, of course, he's going to lead the team in points. He continues to look like a star. We know he's a budding star. You may just cut that part out. Probably just a star maybe not even budding super i don't know if i want to go there yet but he's definitely a star 
So he gets another 30 piece, 31 points on 11 of 23 shooting, and he got it to go from three. That's always the X factor in these games when it comes to Shea. If he gets the three going, other teams are pretty much screwed because he's so slippery inside. The way he changes pace kills you, and then he can also dish it out to people whenever they're able to hit from three. I'll go into that in a second, but the answer is hell yeah, they could hit from three. So whenever he's slashing, it's a major issue, and whenever he goes for step backs, when he's on, he's on. So he was four of six there. He didn't actually have a ton of assists, only four. He's kind of toned it back a little bit, but you can't be all too upset with him because there were some other people who kind of helped passing the ball around. And you got to start with Ty Jerome here. Comes off the bench. We've seen him just look so casual. Like whenever he's playing offensively, he looks like a rec league guy. Like he is not your pedal to the metal point guard. He will just relax at the top of the key and then he'll just chuck up a shot. Like he doesn't have much of a bounce on his jumper either. It's like damn near a standing shot. So he just lets it go. And he's so smooth. Like the touch when his shot hits the rim is crazy. So he hit all five of his threes. All his 15 points came off of those as well. And I mean, whenever you see the ball going through the basket, he keeps shooting. Minnesota, they needed to adjust. So they tried putting people on him. But at that point, you know, he's just going to find other people. And it became infectious whenever Ty Jerome started making his three. So he had six assists, pretty much all going to other members of that second unit. And where were those points coming from? Beyond the arc. Shvima Kailuk was amazing in this game. He had 10 points. But honestly, for the amount of time he had, give him a little bit more, he would have gone for 20, 25. I don't even know. He just had a major impact so he was like second fiddle to Jerome whenever the bench was completely out there. He only got to play for 15 minutes, but getting those 10 points, two of five from downtown. But I think honestly, if he wanted to, he probably wouldn't win off a lot better from outside because he did have looks, but it was just constant extra passes here. He had three assists in that span he's really not known for being a passer and he's also not known for being able to posterize people and that's exactly what he did he strolled up whenever jerome's playing i mean he's shooting everyone's shooting lane is cleared out there's like no one around there so shvi takes from the top of the key takes it inside takes a damn near bunny hop two-handed jam right over the timberwolves defender magical i i could not draw that up I'm I don't think I've ever seen Shvi do that in any of the highlights that I've looked from in him in college or in the pros so it's really refreshing to see him kind of do some wild stuff and then also defensively I mean he's an all right defender but he got two steals in that time that's a lot better than you know just a decent everyday guy so if he can keep that up you really do have something with Sfi. so you had him and you also had Kenrich Williams who continues to build up his trade value Mark Dagnall made comments about Kenrich after the game or it may have been pre-game or post-game honestly but Mark Dagnall was just talking about Kenrich and he was pretty much hinting at like almost like trading like he didn't say it but Whenever you're just hyping someone up like, oh, he's going to play perfectly with any franchise or he he would, it's like, dude, why would you be saying that? Like, you would not say that about Shea. You wouldn't be like, oh, he can play great with any team. It's like, no, but he's on your team. So he's kind of talking like damn near in past tense right now. So 
He ended up saying that I think Kenrich Williams can help any team he is on. I'm happy for him that he has gotten the opportunity this year to prove that. And then a little bit later, he's like, right from training camp, as soon as he got here, we were just observing and allowing them to reveal themselves. So I guess he's talking in that second sentence, just everyone in general. But he's really just hinting at, like, Kenrich Williams can be great with anybody. So kind of just, you know, putting his name out there for potential suitors. I got that from uh, Ryland Styles, by the way. He does uh, post some of those tweets every once in a while from the um, the media session. So yeah, that's what I pulled from there. I just thought it was an interesting quote, but yeah. So end up talking about Kenrich Williams, and also he had a little bit of something to say just in general with the team, saying he does a lot of winning things out there. He can fit in with anyone. For sure, 100%, that is that is true, because he just does. I mean, he, he gels in 12 points on the game, 4 rebounds and 3 assists on 5 of 7 shooting, not to mention 2 of 2 from 3. Yeah, he can do it all, pretty much. And even the Minnesota Timberwolves commentators had to throw his name out there. They were talking about how even when he was with the Pelicans, he seemed to be their Achilles heel every game, and it kind of was in this one as well. So he does have a little bit of history against the Minnesota Timberwolves, so... I thought that was cool. Outside of them, though, I mean, that was kind of your main grouping of three. But you still had to mention, I mean, Alexei Pokachevsky, man, he was great. And in the first half, not so much. Two of seven from the field. Only had like five points to show for it, too. One of five from three. But in that second half, he was all right. Three of six from the floor. And he ended up getting a double-double on the game with 13 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 blocks. He was all over the place on defense, just catering even more to this hectic defense that you kind of have going on in Oklahoma City. But yeah, I mean, really up and down with him. Once he feels it, you got to look out like when he's not there, you're going to see a lot of air balls and you kind of just have to live with that with him. I think everybody's kind of adjusted to that already. But yeah, he was a pleasant surprise to see. And, you know, I said this on my article. KyleSinglerFromMVP.com is my website. If you do not know, always have the post-game articles as well as some other stuff. But yeah, I mentioned, like, he's most likely going to be known from this game for his dance moves. Like, that is going to be a meme that you're going to see on social media for a long time. Especially if Poku starts dominating oh yeah you're gonna see his little dance routine all over the place so just be prepared for that that's what you're gonna remember this game for so i thought he was pretty good the dancing may have been a little bit better sga actually had a comment about this i guess he got a question post game but you know he said that there was some room for improvement he said yeah i've seen him dance like that we gotta work on it a little bit but yeah i've seen him dance like that so i guess this isn't the first time that he's just gone crazy um, doing any routines. But I, I, I wonder where those other dance moves are coming from. Like, I, I'm not sure. Practices, playing like Just Dance on the Wii, whatever. I'm just excited for him. He seems like a great teammate to have, so yeah. Moses Brown, he's looked good too. I mean, he got, I think this is his career high, but he played close to 34 minutes on the game against Carl Anthony Towns. And he wasn't able to really score over Carl Anthony Towns, he only managed to get four points. But what he did do was he made life live in hell for Cat. He could not get rebounds over him. And sure, Carl Anthony Towns had 10, but Moses Brown had 17. 
And of course, a good majority of those came on the offensive end. He had five offensive rebounds. So he's just doing his thing. And even more so because he got some awards for what he actually was doing prior to the season. Ended up getting first team G League honors as well as defensive team. And I'll talk about that in a brief moment there. That's kind of just my takeaways from the game. The next game that the Thunder will be playing is going to be up against the Memphis Grizzlies. They are 20 and 20. But I just want to go back to Shvi here and say, you know, originally whenever he got traded for, like the the conversation was, why would you get rid of a guy like Hamadou Diallo? And I think that's fair. Like Hamadou Diallo was our bench guy. You had Kenrich Williams kind of growing. Isaiah Roby was too. This was back when Baisley was playing. And then you had Diallo. I think Diallo was that guy, especially whenever Maladone had to start and you didn't have Ty Jerome playing for you. Diallo was the person there. So I guess they already had enough faith in Jerome as well as, you know, wanting to see Kenrich play more that they felt they could boot out Diallo. And they end up bringing in Shvi, who in a free agent market, being an amazing shooter is going to get you paid. So you need to get your pockets ready for him. You end up getting his rights though. So if he hits restricted free agency, you can match any offer sheet you want and keep him for the long term. So he's 23, Diallo's 22. Diallo has kind of just been growing everywhere. From three, you know, there's times where he looks really good and he was shooting a lot more this season than years past. So I kind of saw that as a plus. He was just growing everywhere. With Shvi, you get a guy who wasn't able to get a lot of minutes with the Detroit Pistons, and he's just known for being a sharpshooter. So we bring him in, not really knowing what to expect, and he's exceeded all expectations so far. He's not just a sharpshooter. He is a playmaker. He can cut inside, and he can play defense. He can play the two or three. Either one, I think he'd probably do fine. And he has some sort of connection going on with Ty Jerome. I mean, they were pretty much tag teaming against the Timberwolves, where those two were right next to each other. One of them would be in the left corner. One of them would be in the left wing. You get the ball, you pump fake, get some more attention while you're driving in, kick it right back to the corner, wing, whatever, and you spot up and you hit it. And if someone's closing out, you keep passing the ball. You just get wide open shots every time those two were together. And he had 15 in two games ago now he has 10 I think he is a suitable piece for your roster heading forward and you know something that could be a little bit dirty but and you know if you really care that much about money might be smart here if he's playing a ton and he's balling out you're gonna be having to pay him a lot more like if he's limited this season he's not gonna have a you know gigantic payroll come the next couple seasons so I don't know if you would finesse someone like that. I feel like that would probably be pretty dirty to do, especially like for an organization like the Thunder. But he's going to get paid. I think his stock is just going to continue to rise while he's playing with us because he gives you that shooting presence that we really have not seen before. And, you know, I guess Alex Abrines was that sharp shooting, shooting guard that was brought in, but he really was not able to give us, you know, longevity. I think he's playing in like Spain right now and he's good. But I think it was like a combination of personal reasons and just other stuff. He wasn't able to stay for the long haul for us. I think Shvi might be able to. And Shvi is a lot more versatile than Abrines. I think Abrines was, he could shoot the basketball. Driving in, don't expect him to be pulling off anything crazy. Shvi is not like that. I, I'm going to give Shvi the edge pretty much everywhere. Threes, I like his touch, man. So I think he's going to 
really develop strongly for us as like a bench player and we need a lot of bench players we have a ton of them already but you pop him in he's gonna be great and you know we don't know what's gonna happen to guys like Kendrick Williams if he ends up getting moved out he probably just takes that role and starts playing 25 a game and I think he'd be ready for it honestly I, I do so I'm really happy for him as I said I'm also really happy for Moses Brown and what he has been able to do so I always just kind of just obsessing about him and Omer Yurt 7 in Orlando because he you know deserved all the praise that he was getting and it's because that you know he was a top player in Orlando same goes with Yurt 7 Moses Brown 7-2 Yurt 7 7 feet tall nobody would be able to stop this man so he was just doing anything he wanted to for like 13 14 games and the g league they you know they had to give a nod to him so he ended up getting named to the g league first team and all defensive team doesn't meet the cup for the rookie team because he's not a rookie but yeah i honestly thought it might have been a stub to begin with because I thought he could be in the MVP race, and he definitely was until probably the last couple games when they started losing a lot because his numbers got tanked. He was averaging like 23 points, 12 rebounds, like two blocks. That's some really good numbers here, and he didn't sustain it. Paul Reed did with the Delaware Bluecoats. He took home the MVP. He was posting averages like 23 points, 11 rebounds, 1.7 blocks. It was like a ballpark. I think that's kind of where it was, so he definitely deserves it. Moses Brown was not too far off, though. He averaged 18.9 points, 13.9 rebounds per game, and he also averaged 1.9 blocks. So he was dominant. If you guys are able to watch highlights, I don't know if they clip together highlight reels on people for the G League, but you're going to need to just to see how dominant he truly is. He was just pushing everybody around. He had to get triple teamed in the last five games, which is why his numbers tanked. Everyone was just game planning around stopping him in year seven. So even with that, he was getting the rebounds. He was trying to throw it back up. He was leading the league in points off of second chances. And for those qualified, he was kind of leading just everywhere. Offensive rebound percentage. It was like 17. The last man behind him was Omer year seven. He was at 14. So it was a major, major gap in a lot of these categories. He was by all accounts, the best center there. So, you have to tip your cap towards Moses Brown. I think Omer Yurt 7 too. I'm surprised. They had three different teams, and Yurt 7 did not meet any of them. He averaged 15.2 points, 9.3 rebounds, and 1.5 assists across his time. And he also was one of the best stretch bigs. He shot 38% on 1.5 attempts a game. He also had 1.4 blocks, too. So, he was doing... Pretty much the exact same as Brown, except Brown was starting, Yurt 7 was behind him. That was the biggest tandem in the G League for probably the first two weeks. So, I'm puzzled why they didn't give it to him. He's also a rookie, and he definitely should have been on the rookie team over some of the other people that they placed. I think what they were doing is they were making sure that like every single playoff team had at least one person on the list here. And I think there were some secret requirements that they didn't list. Like Jeremy Lin was definitely one of the top players in Orlando, but he didn't get on any of the names. I think it's because he only played nine games. I think 10 games was kind of the, the minimum. Yurt 7 played 14. So it's like, you know, how exactly did he not get any credit 
I'm not sure. I just think it's truthfully comes down to him being on a team that did not make the playoffs or make any sort of push because the Raptors 905, which was the best regular season team, I think, they had three dudes place on the second team. Like, how on earth does that happen? I was checking the numbers. It's like they're good, but second team? I'm not so sure about that. So, you know, you had all these guys um, that I guess were pretty deserving. There are a lot of people who balled out in Orlando, and I get they could only pick 15 names for the, the teams and then five for the rookie class, but you should give Yurt7 some love. I definitely think that he is a fringe NBA player, and, you know, if there's a team searching for a young guy to develop, Yurt7 is the guy, and, you know, with an open two-way, if, you know, we can move out of space, get Brown upgraded, I think Yurt7 is probably a safe pick to try to help you out when it comes to the center position, especially if Al Horford is out as well, so that's just my take on things. But, you know, I also have said some pretty crazy stuff on here. So, I don't know, man. Got to take it with a grain of salt. I do think Geert 7 would be a great pickup, though, on a two-way with, like, no risk at all. But that was kind of just my talk on Shvi, Moses, and then I guess I just kind of talked about uh, Geert 7 because I do like him. But there are two other players that aren't on the Thunder that are kind of newsworthy. And these are players who have been circulating in trade rumors. The first one is Laurie Markkinen. And I was going to add him in yesterday's podcast, actually, but, you know, I kind of felt like maybe being overkill to put, like, seven dudes on that list, so I wanted to keep it a little bit to a minimum. I had marketing on the inside out because I think that, you know, a year ago, a couple years ago, where we needed a stretch for, he would have been perfect. Now it's like, yeah, he's a really good scorer, but I don't think you can play him at the five. Like, the Chicago Bulls are pushing him out anyways because he can't play the five. They don't have one. So... We need one. He'd be a four. And then it's like, you know, you got all this trickle effect. What's going to happen to Darius Baisley? What about Pokachevsky? What about Roby? All these questions. And maybe it's just not worth it. But he's a very good player. And with him being on the market, the Bulls have taken offers on him. I think it's worth kind of just chatting about Laurie Markkinen for a little bit. And he's amazing. He's one of these guys just like John Collins, where he's going to be looking for big money over the offseason. His rookie contract is set to expire, so you got to get your bank ready. And I guess Chicago is not willing to pay him. And I'm kind of confused as to why, because coming back from his injury, he has looked great. He has posted 30-point games, 20-point games. Over the season, he's averaging 17.7, and you know that's not his highest. His sophomore year, he looked crazy good. He had 18.7 then, dropped a bit down last year. That's what Jim Boylan does to you. But now he's looking a bit better with Billy Donovan. So 17.7 a game, six rebounds, comes to assists. He's not really doing that. He's not even averaging one. But he gets you 0.5 blocks and 0.5 steals. The main thing to take away is he is a shooter. He shoots over seven threes a game. That's more than Al Horford was shooting for us before that's more than Mike Muscala has been shooting for us that's his job he has been used that way and there's a lot more to his game than just that he has posterized people as a rookie he was nicknamed the finisher not just because he's finished but because he will dunk on you so he deserves it you don't ever see it from him that much now he's just kind of a sharpshooter so 40% on 7.2 attempts is wild especially for a seven footer 
I don't know who wouldn't want that in the league, but if you're going to be paying him 25 mil, you better be really confident that he will work out in the future. And I think John Collins and him are kind of in a similar category when it comes to value, but John Collins, a little bit bigger, I would say. I think you can actually slide him at the five. Marketing, not so much, really. I think he's just a standard four, but he's very, very big and good at the four. So if you need a power forward, he makes sense. They're looking for a young talent first round pick from that's kind of just the general feel for all these guys right now you know people want first round picks people want young guys what's new here and we could definitely provide that we could give them a first round pick we can give them two first round picks and if we can hush them up we can get Lori marketing that'd be amazing but at the same time you kind of want to be tanking you know you want to be able to have your picks pretty good for the future and if you get a guy like marketing you better be ready next season not to be at the bottom of the, you know, the bottom of the league. I think even with everything, all our picks coming in, we may not be at the bottom anyways. We're not in it right now, and this was supposed to be our tanking year. So you could bring him on, but that's going to boost up your, your you know, kind of your future, and you're not really going to be in that rebuilding area. You're actually going to be going for the playoff spots, and I don't know if they want to do that immediately. I don't know if there's going to be you know, this is year one, year two, year three. This is supposed to be a two to three year rebuild unless something wild happens. And you can kickstart it with these players, but you do need to think about it. And I think Laurie Markkinen is amazing. I would have told you, like I said a couple years ago, we need to get him. And I know last season, whenever he was on the trade block, I was obsessing over this guy. Same goes two years ago when he was kind of chatted about. Now it's like, I'd love to have him, but we're in a different situation now and he'd be good with us but i don't know if you run him long term if you know what i'm saying the second dude that i want to talk about i think i already talked about him yesterday but yesterday we didn't know this but now he's actually kind of being discussed in package deals and it's taylin horton tucker for the los angeles lakers he's 20 years old former second round pick he's kind of getting stashed in the bench for the lakers and he can straight up ball out. He has that potential. We have heard that, you know, playing with bad teams, he'd be amazing. And I don't think we're a bad team, but I think he'd be amazing with us. So give him the opportunity here. He'd definitely blossom with us. The thing is, I don't know if the Lakers need to move him. He has been doing exceptional in March. And now you have LeBron and you have AD out for like a month. You're going to be a, kind of exploring some other people. And Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be one of the main guys that is going to get them through this month. So I don't know if you'd move him away unless you're just blown out of the water with an offer. And even with that, I mean, their primary source of collecting assets as of right now, what we know is going to be that buyout market. We know that there's guys like Andre Drummond, who he is in a terrible contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They picked him up for pretty much a second round pick. Or I guess they gave up a second round pick for him last season. Now there's no future for him. They aren't playing him. And they might have to just buy out that contract if no one wants to take that thing on. And if he does hit that market, you already know the LA Lakers are going to be right there. They had a guy in Damian Jones put him on two separate 10-day contracts. He was great. But they aren't going to retain him because they are looking on to the buyout market to get players they think they can get someone better than Damian Jones at that center spot and most likely they will if Drummond falls so that's where they want to get everybody but if they're blown away with an offer for Taylor Horton Tucker they may pull the trigger I just think it's a little bit 
different. I don't think it's going to be an ideal option like it would be for the Chicago Bulls. But if Taylor Horton Tucker is going to get paid big time this offseason, I could see them wanting to move him, move away from him. And Kenrich Williams would be the guy that I think would best fit what the Lakers need. They need people who are going to be long-term options. I've already obsessed over Williams' contract, but over three years, just $6 million in total, that is wild. I think the Lakers probably have looked at him and talked to Sam Presti about him. I think everybody probably has. And yeah, you could give him up for for uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, but then you got to kind of cover that difference. And if it comes down to a couple second round picks, I say, you know what, let's do it. I love Kenrich Williams and he's making me feel so bad for thinking we could potentially move him every single game because it's like, wow, he is amazing and he could be a future veteran for us. But I just feel like right now he probably would be traded for someone like Taylor Horton Tucker. So you pick up Taylor Horton Tucker, he's going to play shooting guard or small forward for you, and you kind of move on from there. But that was kind of just my analysis on these two new guys two days away from this trade deadline. So, you know, I might even do like a little live stream, like a locker room stream on trade deadline day. We'll see what goes on there. But it's going to be a lot more stories coming from there. So don't be surprised if you see more, you know, 50-50 blend between the Thunder and just stuff going on with the league because this will be changing pretty pretty fast but other than that though guys that is going to wrap up today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya